This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays, and joining me today, a man who gave the Bears an F for signing Andy Dalton in his free agency grades, Shio Kapadia. Shio, how you doing, buddy? Well, as I said, my grades are correlated to whether I've eaten recently or not, and I haven't eaten recently for this podcast, so I'm ready to come out, uh, spit some fire, and just crush some teams here with you. It's become just a never-ending kind of stream of information and reactions to that information. I tweeted this earlier today. I have, at one point, I had 50 tabs open of different depth charts and contract pages and over-the-cap things that I am almost like in a fugue state. As I wake up in the morning, unsure of what's real and what's not as I open Twitter and start scrolling it. So this morning, I woke up to the Trent Williams contract. I was like, this seems real. This seems like it's actually happening and it's not a dream. But there's a lot of stuff that's blurring together at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do the same thing. Check my phone first thing in the morning. All right, what did I miss during the overnight? And, and last night it was a huge one with, with Trent Williams signing that huge deal. So I'm sure we'll get to that and all the rest of the deals that were signed today. So we just had some news come down right before we started recording. Hassan Reddick, formerly of the Cardinals, signed a one-year base or guaranteed $6 million deal with the Panthers up to $8 million. I was really interested in what would happen with him. You know, He was in such a unique spot just because it was the one year of sack production. Position change to a certain degree. I mean, he was utilized more as an edge rusher last year than ever before in Arizona. How were teams going to judge that? What was his market going to look like? And I feel like taking a one-year deal is a good idea for him to try to rebuild his value and really pump it up at that position. And I think it's good value for the Panthers. Also, Matt Rule adding every single Temple product that exists in the NFL. He has cornered the market on the Temple Owls, which I'm sure as a Philadelphian you appreciate. Yeah, I love this move for the Panthers. I, I, I too, was unsure what kind of market there would be for Reddick. 27 years old, had 12 and a half sacks last year. Five of them came in that Giants game, but I thought there would at least be one team that would say, you know, this guy has been used in so many different roles with so many different defensive coordinators in Arizona, but we know he can get after the passer. He's young. He's got athletic traits. Uh, this is somebody to kind of throw some money at, and that obviously didn't happen. He didn't have the market that maybe some people thought he might have. And so from the Panthers' perspective, it's great. Now you have Hassan Reddick and Brian Burns, I mean, a pair of nice young edge rushers. And I do wonder from the Cardinals' perspective, if they knew going into free agency that you could get Hassan Reddick on a one-year $6 million deal, do you say, let's just go ahead and do that rather than sign J.J. Watt for two years at Thirty, you know, fifteen and a half million dollars per year. So uh, I do think teams are going to start to get rewarded for a little bit of patience now here in this next wave of free agency. I, I agree, and we'll get to some of that, and we'll get to the Cardinals' plan because I feel like they've been one of the most interesting teams of the week. The Rodney Hudson trade came down a little bit earlier today, but I want to talk about the Panthers briefly. We didn't really mention the Panthers' offensive line moves on any of the previous shows we did this week. They signed Pat Elfline. They apparently also signed. The other guy whose name I cannot remember now, which is a little bit frustrating to me. But, oh, Cam Irving. So they signed Elfline and Irving to modest modest contracts, but two guys that they added. Now they go out and they sign Hassan Reddick on a pretty modest deal. So they're building slowly. 
Where do you think the Panthers are right now? Obviously, they're a team that's been in discussions about adding a quarterback, potentially Deshaun Watson, potentially in the top 10 or moving up to three to get somebody. It feels like they're in this awkward holding pattern in a team building sense where I just don't know exactly what this team is going for or what they're trying to accomplish in this exact moment. I mean, I just keep, you know, there's that story of David Tepper, like when he hired Matt Rule, he was like, you know, I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm just picturing Tepper getting in a room with whether it's Easterby or Casario and saying like, listen, you guys are not leaving until Deshaun Watson is mine. I mean, that's what it feels like this offseason is leading up to because you're right. I mean, they're signing some journeymen offensive linemen. All right, that's great. You need some bodies there. That doesn't really move the needle. You know, Redick is a nice player, like I just said, but this is a one-year deal. It's not like they signed somebody who's going to be a core piece for them for three or four years to come. So to me, everything just comes down to what they're going to do at quarterback. And like, they, they couldn't be more obvious. If you read, you know, our Panthers beat writer, uh, Joe person, or if you read anything else coming out of Carolina, like they couldn't be any more obvious that they want to upgrade at quarterback. And there's one specific quarterback that they are going to hold out on for the entire offseason. Now, if that doesn't happen, uh, I don't know what they do. I guess they kind of just run it back with with Teddy Bridgewater. And next year, I, I wouldn't say is a wasted year, but you develop some of your younger players and build through the draft. But to me, I, you know, that just seems to be what they're doing is they're just like, all right, we'll make a move here and a, mo- a move there. But we are waiting on Watson. And I think at the offense... That makes sense. If they were to swing a trade for Watson, you drop him into that group that they have right now. I think they have serious questions about along the offensive line still after losing yeah. Russell Okun. They bring Taylor Moten back, but it was Greg Little going to play left tackle. Is that a spot they think Cam Irving can play? I think they still need an answer at some of those offensive line spots, but the offense overall, I think will be fine. They outperformed expectations last year with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. So if you drop Deshaun Watson onto a team with Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, and Joe Brady, I think that's going to be okay. The problem is if you swing a trade for Deshaun Watson, you're short on resources now. That's going to require you giving up a lot. And there are still, even with adding Hassan Reddick, major questions about this defense. This is a team that finished in the bottom third of the league last year. You'd hope you have some incremental gains from guys like Jeremy Chin, your uh, Gross Matos, guys you brought in in last year's draft class that was solely dedicated to defense, but they still have holes over there. So I just wonder if they're thinking, if we go swing this massive trade for Watson, we have the potential for a top five offense. We piece together the defense later, even if some of that draft capital is lost. It's, I'm fascinated by how the next month of Carolina Panthers football is going to go here. Yeah, I mean, with Reddick, they've got they've got some nice young pieces, you know, like you mentioned, Chin. Now you've got Reddick. You've got Derek Brown, who, who I thought played pretty well last year. Brian, the front Burns. four is interesting. It intrigues me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, they've they've got some some guys who can kind of play. They used their entire draft on young players last year, so you would figure some of those uh, w- guys would improve a little bit. But at some point, if you do have a player like Watson, now it's not going to be a crazy deal. That that's the thing for teams that trade for Watson. Now you're going to have to give up all kinds of draft capital, like you mentioned. But financially. He's going to be on, what, $10 million against the cap next year and is going to be around $29 million per year, which is one of the reasons why it's so appealing if you're a team that wants to trade for him is because you're not paying him like a Dak Prescott contract over the next three, four, five years. So they... they will have a lie. I'm sure they would be happy to have, uh, it wouldn't be like uh, what, when Ryan Grigson was, you know, talking about how hard it was to build a roster. I don't think that will be the case in Carolina. I think they would happily find ways to build a roster around Deshaun Watson. 
So let's revisit the news that I woke up to this morning and the way I was originally going to start the show before we had the Hassan Reddick news come down. You got to be on your toes during free agency here. A lot of stuff happening, a lot of stuff flying around. Trent Williams signs a record-breaking deal with the 49ers. I think this was always possible. Him putting in that provision when he came to San Francisco last year that he couldn't be tagged, one, is very smart. Two, yes. is is a fascinating little bit of evidence for what your market can be if you're this kind of player and you can't be tagged. It's almost like an experiment for what a premium guy is now worth if you remove that element. So he gets $23.01 million a year, hundred grand more a year than David Bakhtiari, which that's always fun when teams do that. So I understand the deal. $55 million guaranteed. Albert Breer reported today that it's about $20 million per year over the first three years of the contract. It's a big, aggressive contract, but he played at an extremely high level last year. He was arguably the best left tackle in the entire league. And if you're going to spend up for guys, I think understanding someone that you've had in your building, you know what he's like, you know how he fits the system. There aren't the risks that come with signing somebody from outside and bringing them in as a free agent. This makes sense to me, even if the price tag is extremely high. If you were the Niners, would you have paid up and given this deal to Trent Williams? Yeah, when when I do the grades on the athletic, there are you know some deals where I'm like I'm doing this ten out of ten times, and you know I'll give those grades like an A. There are other deals where I'm like, there's no chance I would ever do this. I would try to stop everyone in the building from doing this. <laughs> those grades get the F, and then most of them fall somewhere in between, right? Where you can like be like, okay, I could talk myself into this deal. I could also talk my talk myself out of this deal. And I would say that's kind of where I came in with Williams. But to answer your question, I would say yes. You know, if I were the 49ers, I would have done this deal. I mean, it's the price of doing business. Now, you can go back and say when they made the trade, they should, you know, maybe said as part of the deals of the uh, the terms of this trade, we want to lock Trent Williams up right now and, and sign him to an extension. I don't know if he would have been willing to do that or not. It so sounds it like he didn't want to do that. Right. It sounds okay. like he was interested in possibly repumping up his value, rebuilding it Smart. after taking that year off. Yeah. And it worked. Honestly, yeah. though, when you're as good as Trent Williams is, you can make those sorts of gambles. Right. When you are arguably the most gifted left tackle of your of the entire generation, you can make those bets and typically win. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So so good for him. And you're right. I mean, to, to get that stipulation in there that you can't be tagged and now you get to see what the market is. This is the only way to see exactly what you're worth. It's it's so weird. But I mean, you have to hit the market, see what other teams are willing to pay. Tell the 49ers, we've got deals at this level. We want to come back, but you've got to get here. And that's what they did. So there is risk involved. It's a deal I would have done because it's a premium position. Like you said, he was arguably the best left tackle in the NFL last year. Their Super Bowl window, I think I, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I think their Super Bowl window is now, you know, the next two to three mm-hmm. years, they're trying, they're trying to contend in the NFC that there is risk, you know, he'll, he'll be what 33 years old at the start of next season, you know, the prime he, of had- life as a 33 year old, he's going <laughs> to yeah. be great. He's, he's just getting started. <laughs> That's right. So, um, you know, he's had some injury issues uh, in the past. I think he hasn't started all 16 games since 2013, but nothing that's been um, completely devastating. So, you're in the decline phase of your career, even if it didn't show up on film last year, like you would expect to see that in the next two to three years from Trent Williams. But I think even if he's, you know, 80%, 75% of what he was last year, you're still getting an above average left tackle. You might not be getting the best left tackle in football throughout the course of the contract, but that's kind of how free agency works. So it's a deal I would have done and I have no issues with it. So Alex Mack signs a one-year, five and a half million dollar deal to be their center 
no-brainer to me. They had a yeah. need there after Weston, Weston Richburg moved on. Kyle Shanahan loves Alex Mack, veteran, smart guy, gives you a stable option in the middle of your offense for a relatively low price. When you consider some of the other deals, I mean, I think Ted Karras signed a one-year $4 million deal to go back to New England. So to get a guy with Alex Mack's pedigree, that's a perfect scheme fit. I think that's actually a pretty good price. But I want to pull back a little bit, like you were talking about with the window. Where are we at with the Niners? We're, we're now a year removed, probably with, let's say, what, 14 months removed from them losing the Super Bowl. And a lot has happened. You know, Think about the injury and the waves of injuries they've had to deal with over the last year and just how that's really held them back. And now it's kind of one of those things where you want to tell yourself, if they're healthy, they're still a contender. But do you believe that? Do you believe that this roster as currently constructed with no other big moves is set to compete against the best teams in the NFC? I do. I don't, I wouldn't put them on like the short list of favorites, but I would probably put them in whatever that second tier is, you know, without having gone through all the, all the teams here. But to me, it is very surprising that they have not addressed the backup quarterback situation Mm -hmm. to this point, because like you mentioned, Jimmy Garoppolo's injuries have, as, torpedoed their seasons. I mean, they've won six games or fewer in three of Kyle Shanahan's four seasons there, which is crazy. And you can look at the injuries and and they're absolutely valid. It's not, you know, they're not losing because of Kyle Shanahan. They've been kind of devastated here. But now you look at it and going into this year when the quarterback has missed uh, 23 of a possible 48 games over the past three seasons, like, this year, if Garoppolo gets injured and there's no backup plan, well, that's on the organization because you needed to have something ready here. And so I think if Garoppolo is healthy, like I'm not the biggest, you know, Garoppolo fan, but I was just looking at some numbers and you could easily make the case that since he's gotten there, he's been probably around like the 10th or 12th best quarterback in the NFL statistically. And so I do think if he's healthy with Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, and this could be the best offensive line they've had, you know, since Shanahan has gotten there, George Kittle, that this could certainly be be a top five, top seven offense. And I I think the offense is going to probably have to be the best they've had since Shanahan got there if they're going to contend for a Super Bowl because the defense is going to take a step back. I, I think we would agree on that, whether you talk about Robert Sala, the players they're going to they're going to lose in free agency or whatever the case. So the offense is going to have to be really good. I think it has a chance to be really, really good if Garoppolo can be healthy or if they can get a backup where it's not such a drop off like in previous years. I think that's a great point because in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, the defense just isn't going to be what it was. Even if you know you had Salah, the personnel is such that because they've had to pay some of these guys, you just lose stuff on the periphery, right? Guys like Kwan Williams may move on in free agency. Jaquiski Tard is a free agent. You know, D Ford has, who knows how healthy he is? They had to keep kicking the can down the road with his contract because they can't move on from him because of injury guarantees and him passing a physical. There's so there are questions there, but I do think that the offense has a chance to be the best it's been. They bring back use check. They bring back Trent Williams. They sign Alex Mack. You have Ayuk and Samuel who even when Emmanuel Sanders was there, I love him as a player. Ayuk is just such a more dynamic presence than a guy like Emmanuel Sanders was. You have that stable of running backs that we always talk about Kittle. I do think the offense has a chance to be really good, but as I'm looking at this, I just think this is the Watson team. I don't know if he'd go yeah. there. I don't know if they'd be interested in him, but this is and it's for this reason. When you talk about the Panthers, there's so many holes still, so many holes. And if you trade for Deshaun Watson, does he elevate you? Obviously, of course he does, but you still have areas you're not going to be able to address because you made that move for Watson. 
If you're the Niners, how many holes do you really have, especially at premium positions? So they bring back Emmanuel Mosley. You can argue they could add another corner here or there. They could probably use another safety. But for the most part, this is a ready-made team. If you trade for Deshaun Watson, you can cut Garoppolo. I mean, it's there's no penalty to it whatsoever. Right. So I just think they are the team that would be just ready to go, even if they traded Wat, even if they traded all those picks for Watson. Miami may be in that conversation, but I still think Miami needs a pass catcher. They have meant more questions along their offensive line than the Niners do. All of that stuff. So if I'm picking the perfect football destination for Watson, this is the one that I would choose. Yeah, I think I did like a predictions article right after the Super Bowl. And I just, I was like, Watson and Shanahan, like they're the team where really I, I would be a bad GM because I would be like, there's basically, there's almost no price I wouldn't pay because I would just say, you know what? If I have Watson and Shanahan for the next five years, I'm competing for Super Bowls. You know what? We can figure yeah. the rest of it out. But like you said, they don't have, they have a very good roster. Even if you include one of your blue chip players, right? Let's say Nick, let's say Nick Bosa, it's Nick Bosa and four first round picks. Like, I, I think, you know, Niners fans would be like, oh, you know, I, I've seen some fan bases be like, oh, that's too much. I, I would do that. And I would do absolutely do that. I mean, think about everything else you have with, with the pieces on offense, with Trent Williams now, with that offensive line. Your defense no longer has to be a top five, top seven unit. If that defense is 16th or 17th or 18th or 20th in the NFL, guess what? You're probably still playing in the NFC Championship game and there's a great chance you're com competing for a Super Bowl. So uh, I'm with you. I think it would be and if you're Watson, like, you know, that's you're you might be on a Hall of Fame trajectory in a lot of different places. But, man, you would really uh, you would really be set up well in San Francisco. I mean, you think about it. I'm really I'm willing to roll with Samson Ekubam and <laughs> Eric Armstead if I'm getting Watson. Like, I, I, yeah. I, Nick Bosa is a really nice player, but I think right. I'd probably make that trade off if I were San Francisco. Again, they are just a team from a football perspective that I think makes the most sense. Let's stick with playoff teams with playoff aspirations in the NFC. William Jackson III goes to Washington on a three-year, $40.5 million contract, 26 of that guaranteed. It's a really nice contract for a guy that the Bengals did not seem to want to keep. I want to say it's somewhere around the 12th highest AAV among cornerbacks in the league now. That's a really nice deal. And it's the first real big splash that Washington has made in free agency after franchising Brandon Scherf. We expected them to be pretty active based on how close they were last year and the amount of money they had to throw around. As you're kind of taking a step back and looking at the strategy they've had so far, and really over the first two years of Ron Rivera having personnel control in with that team, what how do you what do you make of the overall approach? How would you read into what they're trying to accomplish? They are, they are a team that's kind of in that middle ground, right? They're not blowing it up and doing a full rebuild and saying, let's wait and, and get one of these top quarterbacks. They're also not a team that I think is ready to compete for, uh, you know, anything significant unless they figure out their quarterback situation. But I'm kind of, I feel like what, what they're doing to me is let's build up the roster. Let's get good players and let's wait for the next opportunity for a quarterback and pounce on it. You know, yep. like we, we know they were in on Stafford this year. There are going to be those types of opportunities probably next off season. You know, there's a chance there, there's an opportunity before then. Maybe you draft someone in like the, you know, it, it could be anywhere. If you scout someone and you really like them, I don't think that Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, signing prevents you from drafting a quarterback. So I think they've got to take a few different swings and connect. I think in the meantime, they can be a fun team with Fitzpatrick. 
Kendrick. You add William Jackson there. You know, he's an upgrade over Ronald Darby, who was there last season. You've got that defensive line that's really good. I know defense varies year to year, but there are pieces in place for the defense to certainly be really good uh, once again next season. The Jackson signing did surprise me a little bit because I, I thought like a man coverage, uh, a man heavy team would sign him. You look at his numbers and just, you know, what he was as a prospect and what he kind of uh, played really well. I thought if, if I'm a team that plays a lot of man coverage looking for a, you know, a really talented young corner, that's who I would sign. But Washington, you know, they obviously had that quarter scheme. They play a lot of zone. So that surprised me a little bit that he was the guy they targeted. But obviously, you know, no team plays all man or uh, all zone. So I, I'm sure they saw his skill set what he did in Cincinnati and thought he could fit that's an interesting point I thought the same thing I went back and I watched him today and god damn is he fast (laughs) I mean he is very physically gifted and he's really good in man coverage and I thought that too it's like man this is a team that played a heavy amount of zone a heavy amount of quarters but I'm wondering if that scheme was informed by the lack of elite talent they had on the back end last season if they bring in guys like William Jackson and they signed Kendall Fuller last year, that was their other big pre, uh, pre-agency move in their first offseason with Rivera there. As they build up the secondary, would they be willing to be a little bit more aggressive in the types of defenses they play? Could they be a little bit more varied? And I think that you're right. Defense is a lot more volatile than offense is. But I think that the way they're looking at this is actually attacking that idea. By moving on from a guy like Ronald Darby and having an upgrade talent-wise to a guy like William Jackson, by maybe playing a slightly different style of defense if you can upgrade the defensive backs. And I also think that this is the time to spend on the back end because even though you've put a lot of resources into the front, you don't have to pay any of those guys yet. Jonathan Allen's going to be up soon, but we're years away from guys like Chase Young getting paid, Montez Sweat getting paid. It's almost like a version of taking advantage of a rookie quarterback contract. (laughs) Like they're, they're spreading out their resources to take advantage of how relatively cheap that front is going to be over the next few years. I think that not paying on linebacker makes sense. That's the spot. If you're going to skimp, do it. They're not spending any money there. And then I think the real question now becomes, what does it look like on offense? Because the only spots now that they really have to address where it's like, all right, we desperately need an answer here is your other outside receiver or just receiving talent in general, and left tackle. And that is a spot where theoretically, if they don't want to go spend in free agency on a guy like Galladay, which I don't think they will. I don't think they'll spend up for somebody like that. Could you find a tackle and a receiver in the draft? I just like that they're building patiently. I think they're doing this in a way that I understand and appreciate. And I just think that the overall vision and just self-awareness about where they're at right now I think speaks very well to just the approach they're taking as a franchise. Yeah, it, it's not what we're used to with them, you know, with the with the <laughs> Washington not. teams we we grew up with. But you're right. I mean, William Jackson's 28 years old, so like you're not paying a 31 year old corner on a big contract, you know. And it, it's a reasonable contract if you think he's a he's a quality uh, number one corner, even a high level uh, number two. Now, I will say with Galladay, given that they have Fitzpatrick, that got me a little bit excited about Galladay. You just know, just jump balls. <laughs> Fitzpatrick just <laughs> chucking the ball uh, downfield uh, to him a little bit, but I do think they, they will do something at wide receiver, but there are younger guys, you know, maybe they sign someone like a Richard Higgins or something, you know, that's not going to break the bank. The guy's 26 years old. Maybe he develops into a nice number two receiver. Um, and, and so you're being, uh, you're certainly being patient there. Yeah. I, I really do appreciate the way they're doing this. And I just think that the spots they need 
are spots that apparently are flush in the draft. If you're not, you don't spend right. on left tackle and free agency. Trent Williams was an anomaly. For the most part, those guys aren't available. So being patient at that spot, I think, is smart. Being patient at that receiver spot and saying, we have a price point. We're not going to stretch ourselves. We'll find a compliment to McLaurin. I just, they're doing this at the right pace. And I think that they're setting themselves up well to have another promising season, even if they don't necessarily win the division again. All right. Speaking of teams and their big picture plans here, we have not delved into the Jag signings very much. I wanted to put those on the back burner because... I just didn't feel qualified to have an actual discussion about Shaq Griffin and Rashawn Jenkins as of yesterday. I spent the morning watching them. I'm very interested in what the Jags defense is going to look like and what they want it to look like. Because the the Shaq Griffin contract is three years, 40 million with 29 million guaranteed. That's a lot of money for Shaq Griffin. Was he there when you were covering the Seahawks or were you there the year before? I was there when he got drafted. So okay. yeah, I, I covered the draft where they picked him and uh, you know watched him probably that spring and maybe a little bit of the summer. What did you think of the deal when you first heard the numbers for him right now? I thought it was fine. I thought it was the going rate. You know, it's it's similar to the William Jackson contract. Now uh, Griffin has not been as consistent a player as Jackson has been, but I could see finding him really appealing because his physical traits are off the charts. I mean, you look at size, speed, athleticism, all those things. I know when I was in Seattle, so long. Yeah, I mean, he, he he's he's prototypical in like all those areas. And I, I remember when I was in Seattle and they were drafting him, one of the stories was he came on one of those official 30 visits and the coaching staff was just like, we're in love with this guy. And he, he's got a great personality. He's a great teammate. So, you know, free agency, that's something you have to consider. You're bringing somebody in who you don't know a lot about. How's he going to fit culture, all those different types of things. And so I do think he, he's 26 years old. And so he's somebody whose career, who, who you now could see the best you know, part of his career right now, his best football could be ahead of him. Now, he's been inconsistent. He's gotten beaten. He, he's had bad games. I'm sure Seahawks fans would tell you, but he also does provide that upside. So when you talk about what kind of defense they're going to play, I mean, now they've got Shaq Griffin and CJ Henderson. And so, you know, are you going to be like a press man team and just have the, you know, play single high and let those guys really go to work there on the outside? Uh, I don't know, but, but those are two very talented young corners. So um, I, I think it was a fine deal. I think it's the type of deal the Jaguars should be making, you know, young guys. Uh, if you have to pay up a little bit, that's okay. You have cap space, but you're, you're filling a premium position. Yeah, I think he's really talented. I mean, the games yeah. I watched today, the speed really jumps out and the length really jumps out. His arms are extremely long. Yes. And when he gets to use those physical traits, he can look really impressive. There was a play he made in the in the Minnesota game where he got he had to react and kind of recover late against Adam Thielen on a deep ball down the right sideline in a beautiful pass breakup. But then there's so many snaps in that Seattle system where he's bailing out in cover three, and he's just he doesn't break on the ball that quickly. His awareness is lacking in certain moments, and that's why I'm intrigued by how the Jags are going to use him because as a man corner, if you're betting on the traits and just saying, we're going to let you be physical, use that size, use that recovery speed, that is interesting to me. But at Ohio State, they ran a lot of spot drop cover three, and they have for years and I wonder how what their system is going to look like because I believe their secondary coach is from the Ohio State staff, but Joe okay. Cullen, their defensive coordinator, was in Baltimore where right. it's all press man. Yeah, yeah. So right. what that defense ends up looking like and how Griffin ends up being deployed in that defense, 
I think will go a long way in them getting value on that deal because I want to see him play up closer to the line of scrimmage, use that physicality in ways that he didn't get to all of the time in Seattle. I mean, you watch, there are a lot of completions in front of him as he's bailing out in cover three. And that's not always his fault, but it's just right. one of those things where it's like, God, I want to see that guy actually used in ways to use that physical ability that he has. And so the same kind of thinking applies to Rishon Jenkins. So they signed him to a three-year, $35 million deal with $16 million guaranteed. If you go watch Rayshon Jenkins on the Chargers last year, it's just Cam Chancellor. I mean, it's not to that level, but that's the role he plays. He is a true, strong safety in a cover three system. The truest, most traditional cover three defense that still existed in the league last year with Gus Bradley with the Chargers. So do they want to use some version of a spot drop cover three system that these guys are really familiar with? And if they do... Is it worth paying up for these guys? So just the vision and how it aligns with the types of players they're chasing and the prices they're paying, I don't have any definitive answers on it yet, but it's definitely something I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Yeah, I thought the Jenkins signing was very aggressive for, you know, when you look at kind of the safety market and he's getting, what, nearly $9 million a year. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think he's been a great player uh, for the Chargers. Now, again, maybe you think his his best football is ahead of him, but that one kind of, I thought that one was a little bit more of a head scratcher. I could see it more with Griffin and see the talent and uh, a premium position, like I said, and you could kind of talk yourself um, into paying for the upside there. The Jenkins one, uh, I thought was a little bit aggressive. It's almost the exact same deal that Adrian Amos got a couple okay. of years ago from the Packers. It, it's almost the exact same contract. I think Amos was uh, $9 million a year. Yeah, yeah. Jenkins was $8.75 million a year. And they had very similar guarantees. So who, do you, who would you rather have on that deal? Adrian I like Amos. Amos. Yeah, I'm, I'm an I, Amos truther. I like Adrian so Amos a lot. So okay. I think right. that that's... <laughs> yeah. If you're looking at value and what guys are going for and comparing deals, it, it's an overpay. But they were always going to have to overpay. I mean, they are not a team that is set up to be an attractive destination. So how they're piecing together this defense, I think, is really interesting. So if you move to the front, I understand how the pieces fit together. So they signed Tyson Alualu, they traded for Malcolm Brown, and they bring in Roy Robertson-Harris. So you have Alualu and Brown are just true run-stuffing defensive tackles. Like, that's what they do. Alualu had the best year of his career probably last year in Pittsburgh, surrounded by all that talent. Malcolm Brown, solid run defender, gives you almost nothing as a pass rusher. And then Roy Robertson Harris is a six foot seven, three technique, three four defensive end kind of presence in there. So I get how those pieces fit together. I just don't know how good any of those players are. <laughs> yeah. That's my thing. So it's like, all right, I, I get what they're doing. I just don't know how good this defense is after this flurry of moves that we've seen over the last few days. I was going to say, if you take a step back and like, you know, before free agency, we knew the Jaguars were positioned to, you know, they had the most cap space, they were positioned to be most aggressive. If you would have told me this was like the hall, you know, I, I know we don't want to win like the offseason and all that, but I would have been like, wait a minute, what? That's the, that's what they ended up with in the first few days of free agency. I mean, Roy Robertson Harris at eight million a year. I mean, I it's a lot of money like, for I, Roy Robertson I, Harris. Yeah, you, yeah, you've watched him more than me, but I was like, you know, I kind of liked Roy. I was like, ooh, he'll be a nice rotational piece for like a contending team on kind of a lower level contract, and to be that aggressive, especially with this pass rush market. I mean, there are guys who are going to be available for weeks from now where we're saying, why is this guy still available? 
available. He's going to have to settle for a one-year, $6 million contract. So, I mean, if, I, I was not expecting during the two-day negotiating window for Roy Robertson-Harris to lock up the three-year, $24 million deal. So that, that also was a bit of a, a head-scratcher to me. I will say this, though. They haven't done anything that's like batshit insane. There are, there are none true. of these deals yeah. that are like, this is nuts. Like yeah. blowing out the, the competition and the market on certain guys. They have been, these are hefty deals, some of them. Yeah. But they're not deals that are just like, we are taking these huge swings. We're leveraging our financial future, any of that. I mean, by the time the Griffin deal and the Jenkins deal end up becoming really expensive, they don't have any guys to extend anyway. So it's almost like they're playing with funny money here for the next couple of years. I just, if the free agency is about plugging holes, again, I just don't know how good this defense is with some of these day one starters based on the prices that they've spent. One of the deals I did like though, I always thought that Marvin Jones was going to be available for a reasonable price and was going to help whoever he landed with. I've always thought he was a really nice player. Two years, 12 and a half million for Marvin Jones. So you put him on that offense with DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault, the offensive line that's ready-made, it's the one spot on their roster that's set, and you have James Robinson already, you drop Trevor Lawrence in there, I'll watch that. That is something yeah. that I will be, I'm, I'm very interested in how that looks. And the Jones thing, obviously there's a connection with Daryl Bevel, who he was with in Detroit for the last couple of years. There's familiarity there. there. That could be a pretty fun downfield explosive passing offense if Trevor Lawrence is good from day one. Yeah, I mean Jones's numbers are like if you just look at his numbers over the past five years, they're bananas. He like when he's you know, on he, the field, he's great. Yeah, yeah, he, he's productive, and some of that is volume and targets and all that. But yeah, I thought that was a good deal. I was surprised that a a contending team did not target. Marvin Jones for that deal. You know, somebody like the, if the Packers wanted to add to their receiving core and get someone who was kind of reliable and wasn't going to cost much. So I was a little surprised. He's redundant to me there though. I I think that that's a redundancy skill set wise, big, long. I I don't know how much different what, I mean, I think he's a better ball winner than a guy like MVS is, but I want somebody there that can move. Will Fuller, Curtis Samuel, somebody in that range. The team I thought he made sense for was Washington. If you want a big okay. physical guy opposite McLaurin and you don't want yeah. to pay top of the market money, can you get him for, I don't know, it's six and a half million a year. Is that a third of what Kenny Galladay is going to get? Right. That to me is intriguing value. But obviously the Jags went were the ones that scooped him up. I think he'll be good there. I th- and he's one of those guys, he doesn't preclude you from spending a first round pick on a receiver. Right. If you like a guy at tw- the 25 overall, whatever their second first round pick is, or if you find a guy in the second round, he's not going to block that guy next year from you moving on. So those yeah. are the types of deals I think typically work out in free agency. This is the fun part of doing this stuff live. We have breaking news. <laughs> Kyle Long, one year, up to $5 million with the Chiefs. Chiefs are doing everything they can to rebuild this offensive line. I have a special place in my heart for Kyle Long. I loved watching him in Chicago when he was healthy. He was an incredible player. Watching him work through some of the injuries that he had to deal with in Chicago. Guy is an absolute warrior. And if he can be anything close to the guy he was before those injuries really took a toll on his career, then the Chiefs are getting great value. And now they have two new starters at guard, if that's where he ends up playing after bringing Tooney in. They wanted to address the offensive line, and that's exactly what they're doing here. 
Yeah, Gronk kind of rewrote my thoughts on when a guy takes a year off and comes back. You know, before I would usually be like, oh, you know, he's not going to be the same. But my gosh, Gronk came back and was incredible uh, last year. So maybe it is, you know, maybe Kyle Long can come back. I think you're right. They don't need him to be an all-pro type guard next year. They need him to be a solid starter. If you're getting that for up to $5 million a year, then that is a very nice option. So yeah, they were very aggressive with Joe Tooney. That one certainly surprised me at 18 mil a year. Now they fill the other spot there. Well, now they, but they, but they've also got, uh, you know, Duvernay Tardif is coming back, right? So I wonder, uh, you know, how do all those pieces fit? Is Long more of a rotational guy for them? Can any of those guys move to a different position? I know Joe Tooney's played every position. You know, That's true. I don't know what, yeah. I don't know, I don't know what they're going to do with all those pieces. I mean, Long has played tackle in the past. It's not okay. as if he has no experience there. I think that he was probably a better guard toward the end of his career. I also think that the amount of jerking around the Bears did to him when it comes to position changes and everything else did not serve him well, but he has played guard in the past. So let's get to a team that has made some moves. They are, they're all in here. The, the, the Cardinals are, they're going for it to say the least. So earlier today, news comes out, they signed AJ Green to a one year up to $8 million deal. Also, they traded a third round pick for Rodney Hudson. I don't know how well Cliff Kingsbury is going to be able to use these guys. I don't know what the ceiling is for them schematically. I have a lot of questions just overall about that staff and the approach and whether it's the right group to get this team over the hump, but they're absolutely being aggressive and I understand it. Like when you think about the needs they had, the positions they need to fill, I mean, these are two guys, we'll talk about Green in a second, but the Hudson deal I think is really smart. Everyone in the league that even has a slight question at center should have been after him and now the Cardinals go and get him. That's a definite upgrade. So their offense, I mean, they're plugging holes left and right here. I just don't know what the final product is eventually going to look like with the Cliff Kingsbury thing here. Yeah, I think last time I was on was right after the J.J. Watt signing. And I think we were both like, well, that's fine. But what are they doing on offense? Because that might be all that really matters. And so now they've done a little bit on offense. Yeah, the Hudson, you know, the Hudson situation was really weird. You know, uh, uh, Vic DeFora of The Athletic, the the great Raiders writer, was basically writing that Hudson wanted out. We thought Hudson was being released at this time yesterday. And then I don't know if someone called the Raiders and were like, you know, you might be able to trade this guy. Now they get a third round pick. Normally when this happens like the team ends up getting like a, a conditional seventh you know or like a but that's uh, why it was shocking round, <laughs> yeah a sixth round pick swap <laughs> it's like really you couldn't trade anything for like you right. couldn't get anyone to trade for this guy i mean his base yeah. salary is like nine million dollars and he was playing yeah. at all pro level recently so this right. makes much more sense than just straight up releasing him so now you have rodney hudson at center they have dj humphreys at left tackle justin Pugh. they re-signed kelvin beecham today to presumably be their right tackle. So they, their offensive line, I think, for the most part, is a solid group. I mean, especially after Hudson getting in there. We talked about him yesterday with Nate. Force multiplier. He makes the guys around him better. And I think for a young quarterback like Kyler Murray still is, and you know, you consider the offense he came from in college and how much protections are going to be helped by Hudson being there, I think it makes a ton of sense. The A.J. Green thing... What do you, how much do you think AJ Green still has in the tank? I went back and watched him a little bit today, and I'll say this. He was better than I thought he was going to be. I watched the last really? four games of the Bengals season, and he was moving better than I anticipated when I turned on the tape. 
Yeah, I think you watched the right part of the season because uh, <laughs> earlier I remember thinking like, this guy is uh, this guy's cooked. I mean, some of the numbers uh, are really alarming on AJ Green last year. I mean, if you look at it, yards per route run, he ranked 92nd out of 103 qualifying wide receivers. He caught 45% of his targets. That ranked last out of 103 qualifying wide receivers. I know they had quarterback injuries later, but they had Joe Joe Burrow for a time there. And if you look at the other wide receivers on the roster, T. Higgins was making plays. Tyler Boyd was making plays. If you're the, I just feel like the Cardinals get reckless sometimes. You know, they're just oh, like, absolutely oh, they do. Yeah, uh, let's go, let's go get that. Like, why are you rushing out and paying AJ Green six million dollars right now? Like, just chill. Be patient. Wait a couple <laughs> weeks. You know what? If everyone else is gone and you want him, then if he gets signed, it's okay. There are other options like wide receiver. There's been no movement. There are so many veterans out there. There are guys who are going to be available for at the same price or or less than what AJ Green got guys who might be able to offer you more upside, maybe younger guys. I mean, there are 26, 27 year old guys who are available, who might be able, you might be able to get for a lower price. And so I'm all for when you have the, the quarterback on the rookie contract being aggressive, you know, go, go sign some free agents. But this one is like, it's, it's like a, classic Cardinals move to me. And I thought that that was not a good signing. Now, maybe I'll be proven wrong in week six next year. We'll be talking about how AJ Green has had his career uh, resurrected there in Arizona. But, you know, with the information we have now, uh, I did not think that was a smart sign. You look at his age. I mean, he played, what, nine games the previous two years before last year. Like, there's just so many red flags with this move. I agree. I think that you'd have to really talk yourself into this. And I I was impressed. he looked better than I thought he was going to look, but I thought he was going to look unplayable based on <laughs> his production last year and some of the stuff we saw. My yards per out run stat was a little different than yours. I must have had some different qualifiers on there. I had okay. 101st out of 112 receivers, okay. three spots behind Cardinals luminary Andy Isabella, and oh one gosh. spot ahead of Lynn Bowden. So that's the <laughs> crop of receivers that AJ Green was a part of last year in terms of production. But I'm wondering... If it took him a little while to get his sea legs last season after missing almost the entire previous year, he was moving decently at the end of the year, even if the separation wasn't great. The quarterback play, when he may have settled in late in the season, was appreciably worse than it was with Joe Burrow. Yeah. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here yeah. and talk. And Steve Kime. Whatever the we have Steve Kime on the show. That's exactly right. <laughs> so I don't know. And then you think about how it all fits, right? So now you have Hopkins, Green. I assume this means more Christian Kirk in the slot, even though they use more full wide receiver sets than any other team in the NFL. Again, all these moves, all these big names, I don't know how much better the Cardinals are going to be by signing AJ Green. I still think the number one question there is what that offense ends up looking like. And can they evolve? Can they move beyond some of the issues that we saw them have last year? And that's, we're not going to know that until September. So I I think that even if you can get excited about some of the names, uh, I would temper your expectations for what this team is going to look like in the end. Yeah, I I like the Hudson move, to be clear. I I think we both like that move. But man, it does feel like there could be a time in August or during the season where we're saying $21.5 million to J.J. Watt and A.J. Green. Was that the best use of their resources to, like you said, make sure they were taking a step forward from last year? Now, like you mentioned, if if the light bulb goes off and they figure out some things schematically and maybe this will all work out. But if that doesn't happen, I don't like I'm not ready to put them in any kind of like Super Bowl conversation right now with the moves they've made so far. 
And I totally agree. And I think that's the interesting point here. They're making moves like a team that's two or three moves away from winning the Super Bowl. They're making the sort of moves that the Bills should be making at this right. point. Like the Bills were in on Watt. They wanted to go get Gronk. They signed Emmanuel Sanders to a one-year, $5.5 million deal, a move I love, by the way. Like that but one. That, yeah, absolutely. That's where the Bills are. That They are right there. They're just trying to figure out the little tweaks they need to make that a Super Bowl-caliber roster. Bringing in Emmanuel Sanders as your John Brown replacement for essentially the same price, beautiful. Like Think about yeah. the ways that Emmanuel Sanders, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley and Gabe Davis fit together in Arizona or in Buffalo for the price. That is makes perfect sense to me. But the Cardinals still have a ton of other question marks and holes in a way a team like the Bills does not. So let's move on to Rodney Hudson's old team here, the Raiders, because they made a couple more moves today, and we have some clarity after Nate and I were a little bit confused yesterday. Obviously, the Hudson move is its own issue, but the offensive line has kind of come into focus in a way we couldn't understand a day ago. It seems like Richie Incognito is going to be back with the Raiders. They signed Denzel Good to an extension. So now, you know, reports of them moving on from four of their five offensive starters or starters along the offensive line, a little bit misleading here because they're going to have a couple of those guys back. It does seem like that unit will be functional now in a way that we couldn't have predicted 24 hours ago after the news and everything else that had been reported. Yeah. Although like you guys said, you know, you guys called Hudson the force multiplier and every smart offensive line person I know, you know, agrees with that assessment. And so, you know, I do think that's going to be a blow. You, you trade uh, Trent Brown, Richie Incognito, he's what, 38 years old or something, you know? So like, let there's me no be clear. Current- <laughs> yeah. I would keep Rodney Hudson, but it <laughs> okay. seems like they're going to have more starters than we thought. I don't understand what the plan is, but yes. it's a little less crazy to me now knowing that they're bringing those two guards back and that guy that they liked, the free agent whose name I keep forgetting that was their backup center that they're going to elevate. They still have a question at right tackle, but overall, I think the Hudson move is strange, but the moves that they've made, the Ngakwe signing, you know, you can go back and forth on. But I think a move like bringing in John Brown for one year and $5 million when Nelson Aguilar just made 11, those are smart oh, free agent moves. Great like move. Having, having the Nelson Aguilar spot on your offense filled by John Brown for half the price, that's what smart teams do. So I think if you take all the moves in the aggregate, even though the Hudson was a little bit puzzling, they're, they're doing okay. I still think that offense can be very good next year with the guys they still have in place. The the Aguilar, John Brown, like like the Raiders did a Patriots thing and the Patriots did a Raiders yes. thing yes. with the Aguilar, John Brown thing. <laughs> like I was like, wait, what is going on here? Because I, I mean, Aguilar, that was a great signing by them last year. You know, $1 million. He plays great. Well, you don't have to pay. I mean, you could, you know, you could certainly could have made the case that you pay him. He was great in your system, but why not try to find the next Aguilar? And it's $5 exactly million right. a year. But John Brown, when healthy, is a better player than Nelson Aguilar. You know, yes. I, I'm sorry. He, he just is. And so uh, I know he's 31 years old, so there are going to be concerns there, but I have no issues with that. That was a smart signing. I think you nailed it yesterday when it's like, like someone needed to sit John Gruden down after the season and John, the offense is not the issue. Like you don't need to tear up the offense. Relax. Take a breath. Here's a drink. Chill out. The offense is, you've done a good job with the offense the last two years. Like it's been incredibly efficient uh, league wide. Let's fix the defense. And I just, you know, I'm so skeptical. Uh, Gus Bradley seems 
seems like a nice guy. I, I don't know him personally, but there are no examples. I, really, I mean, I think I'm sure players <laughs> like to play for him. There's no example where Gus you Bradley. Are, you are too nice of a guy. That, that is Gus, <laughs> just Gus I Bradley need, seems like a nice guy. I mean, great. You know, you need a defensive coordinator who can do more with less if you are the Raiders. And there is no evidence that Gus Bradley has been able to do more with less. His Chargers teams were more talented than the Raiders team he's going to coach. And those defenses were underachieving year after Man. year. I know, th- I know they had injuries. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know what you would have to talk yourself into, into thinking, all right, Gus Bradley's going to come over. We're going to play some, play a lot of, you know, the highest percentage of cover three in the entire NFL. We're going to run it back. And all of a sudden we're going to be good. No, that come on. That's not going to be a solution. It, you, you would either have to just totally upgrade your talent, which you have not done, you know, regardless of the Ngakwe signing, or you're going to be in the same position and the offense is going to be a little bit worse. So uh, it hurts me because I think, you know, going into last year, I kind of liked the Raiders. I was like, you know what? Their offense is better than anyone's given them credit for. If they could, they, they've added some free agents defensively, maybe they can figure it out. They didn't figure it out last year. And now I feel like they're in a worse position a year later. So you're saying that a defensive system that has only succeeded when it has a truly elite pass rush is not the approach a Raiders team with no pass rusher should have taken. Yeah, is and, that what you're trying and, to tell uh, me? Two Hall of Famers in the secondary, or two, three, maybe three Hall of Famers. Yeah, that's kind of what you need. If they can get that, then maybe I will be buying uh, Raiders playoff stock for this year. I tend to agree with you, and I think that when you look at the Raiders and what they've been over the last couple of years, you almost have to have two different conversations. There's the John Gruden as coach conversation that I think has gone pretty well. Yeah. Like if you look at what they are offensively, it's interesting, it's modern, it's explosive, even without a top flight receiver on the outside over the last couple of years. Look at what they got from Nelson Aguilar. They made him $11 million a year after yeah. he was available for nothing. They have Darren Waller and a rotating cast of receivers, even though they spent the 10th overall pick on one last year, but that's a whole different conversation. It, the schematics of it on offensively have been really good. They have been a borderline top 10 offense with marginal talent, but they've been they've made the most of that talent offensively. On defense, they've done the opposite. They have gotten the least amount of every single guy that they've brought in. And if you take a step back to the Gruden as personnel control guy, there to me is no distilled plan. There is no like set of steps for how they want to get from point A to point B outside of here's three more dice rolls in free agency after the last three didn't work. It just seems totally disjointed in the ways they're trying to add talent to this team. Even And that's the most disappointing part about that and why it's frustrating is that I think we want to like them. We right. want the, because the offense is so fun to watch when it's rolling, you want them to get some momentum and figure this out in order to maximize that offense and getting the most out of it. And that just hasn't happened because it doesn't seem like they have a crystallized plan for how they want to build this roster from a talent perspective. Yeah, there were so many times, you know, when I take notes like every week during, there were so many times last year where I was just like, the Raiders offense is just moving the ball up and yeah. down the field like they are shredding this defense. And it's a great point with with the plan or lack of a plan. You know, uh, that that column I was talking about from Vic, Vic Four on The Athletic, I, I recommend people reading it. You know, he said, that he, he suggested that they thought, they didn't want they wanted to go to a plan C and plan B was investing in the offensive line and now they feel like they want to spread that money throughout the rest of the roster 
And I was like, no, 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 having a good offensive line is good. It can fix a lot of issues. Uh, that, that should not be what you're moving on from. And so I, I don't think they have, uh, they have much of a plan, and it's a, it's a shame. So John Brown signs a one-year deal with the Raiders. It seems like those are the types of deals that receivers are getting now in that tier of receiver. We talked about Emmanuel Sanders, A.J. Green getting that deal. But the big receiving deals have been slow to materialize here. While we were recording, it was reported, I can't remember who it was by, and I apologize for that, that the Bengals had offered Kenny Galladay a deal that he was on their radar. The Giants have also been in on Kenny Galladay. So that's the big name. And obviously, guys like Will Fuller are still on the board. Curtis Samuel is still there. Are you surprised by how slow-moving the demand for those spots have been and the fact that most of the bigger guys at that position outside of Corey Davis are still waiting to hear their number called here. I am. Yeah. Because I think you had teams with money and wide receiver as a need. And, you know, I think Kenny Galladay is a really good player, a really fun player, really unique player. You know, somebody who can stretch the field like that and average 16 yards per reception and play on the outside. Like, you know, those guys can, uh, can be hard to find. He was really productive before he got injured last year. And so that one surprises me, uh, certainly a little bit. The rest of them, you know, certainly have some questions. I know you, you've talked about Juju Smith Schuster. And some of the questions with him, Will Fuller. I mean, it, it's so telling that I didn't even mention his name. Yeah, <laughs> um, Will Fuller. Like, if you're a GM, I mean, you can't. I, I don't see how you can justify signing him to a long-term contract. He's somebody to me who, after he was injured for four years and then you know got hit with a PED suspension in year five. If you want to sign him to a one-year deal, that's fine. I don't know how you could do more than that. Curtis Samuel, I'm surprised because we've both talked to offensive coaches who just you know they start salivating with a guy like Curtis Samuel and oh my gosh, wait till you see. I'm gonna get Curtis Samuel in here. He's gonna be running in the red zone, jet sweeps in the slot this guy's gonna have you know 1600 yards from scrimmage and like some coaches you're like oh okay they could probably do that and other coaches you're like that's not gonna happen this is gonna be a disaster but I thought some coach would have talked themselves into doing that and that he would have found that money so that one certainly uh, surprises me and then that next year you know or even in that tier T.Y. Hilton Sammy Watkins Rashard Higgins those types of guys so uh, we'll see you know one theory I, I was wondering about do coaches think after the last couple of years, maybe they think it's a lot easier to get rookies to come in, play, contribute yeah. right away. We'll use a draft pick there. We don't have to spend big money. And so, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's a storyline to watch. I think it is. And I absolutely think that one, those things inform one another. We talked about that with Nate yesterday. And we've just seen more pro-ready receivers come out of the league at every layer of the draft. It's not just first-round guys. Think about how yeah. many third-round picks over the last three or four years, we've seen come in and produce right away. Why would you sign Kenny Galladay to a $15 million a year contract when the next Kenny Galladay could be waiting for you in the third round? Yeah. And I know that, that it's it's much diff more difficult than that, but that's not a crazy way to frame it. Terry McLaurin was a third round pick. Chris Godwin was a third round pick. There are guys waiting to produce at that spot. And it's in ways that have never happened before. So I think that absolutely could be part of it. I'm getting distracted here by some of the news. Albert Breer reported that the Panthers have signed Morgan Fox, who I'm the only person who's going to be excited about that. Me and Nate <laughs> love Morgan Fox. I thought okay. he was really good for the Rams last year. So that okay. just happened. And there was one other move that I... Uh, so apparently... Uh, so Danny Rossini is the one that reported the Gallaudet offer. And I think Breer also said it was a one-year kind of prove-it deal for Gallaudet. So that okay. could be the types of contracts that these guys are being offered. Galladay 
Samuel, everything else. And now that we may be moving into that tier where it could be smarter for those guys to maybe sign a one-year deal, now it's when I think the pool of teams becomes really interesting. Because yeah. if if it's one year, $10 million for Curtis Samuel, if I'm the Packers, I'm mashing the call button. That Those are the types of deals I think could be really interesting for teams like Green Bay, Kansas City. If we can free up a little bit of money and just say this is our one year, put us over the top kind of thing, little thing to drop into the offense. If that's the range that some of these receiver deals start falling into, then I think that we could get some teams involved that wouldn't have been if we're talking four years, 60 million for some of these guys. It, and and the last two like points we just talked about are linked because you know, there's probability and then there's like possibility, right? So if you are a team that is not going to compete uh, next year, maybe the next two years, if you don't think you're really realistically competing for a Super Bowl, then I think you take the first approach and say, why would we pay a receiver, you know, 12, 14, whatever, $16 million a year? Let's just take some swings in the draft. Uh, we have time. We'll find some guys and we'll get them for cheaper. However, if you're a team like the Packers and the Chiefs, you like, you know, you can't go into the draft saying, hey, we are going to draft a starting wide receiver in the second round. It doesn't work that way. You know, we've all seen the odds and the percentages. So you're absolutely right. It's those contending teams. If you are a team that expects to be in the mix, it's like we talked about with the Bills and Emmanuel Sanders, right? They didn't need to spend uh, a one year, $5 million contract on Emmanuel Sanders, but they're like, we don't want to, you know, let, let's, we have money to spend. Let's shore up that offense. We need to have a great offense. And so there are teams like that. I mean, the Chiefs don't have a real number two uh, wide receiver right now. Certainly the Packers are a team that could add uh, another pass catcher. And I think you're right. Some of those guys will say, and it's smart for the players too, right? I mean, if you're like T.Y. Hilton or something and you're debating your next move, like, you know, go go somewhere in a one-year deal. Uh, maybe not T.Y. Hilton might not be the greatest example, but Will Fuller, you know, like go play with Patrick, Patrick Mahomes or on the Chiefs. Uh, yeah, right? It, I mean, it's not it's crazy. Fireworks. Really, if you're... Listen, if you're Will Fuller's agent, aren't you like, dude, we'll go there for $2 million. I promise you next year, like, you know, be careful what you put in your body. Let's stretch a lot, but you will be. <laughs> but, but next year, after one year with Patrick Mahomes, I promise you there's going to be a market for your services. So, yeah, some of those guys, if you're under 30, I think that would make a lot of sense. I will, I will say, Will Fuller, there's a chance that he's looking for a longer term deal solely because of the injury concerns that have been yeah. kind of lingering with him. So there's a chance he doesn't want that prove a deal, but I think you're right. I'm taking 5 million from the chiefs. I'm <laughs> catching 12 touchdown passes and we'll see what happens next year when the cap explodes. The one other deal I wanted to mention before we get out of here, we had a long conversation about the Niners. His name did not come up. They signed DJ Jones to a one-year deal. I love DJ Jones. And those are the types of guys that connective tissue of the Niners defense. I think that's allowed them to be really successful over the last couple of years, even as they've endured some injuries, he's a guy no, a, lot, a lot of people are going to talk about, but those are the types of players that have really allowed them to sustain and still be really good. I love bringing a guy like that back. So let's pull out and talk about a little bit of bigger picture here. You have graded every single one of these deals so far, okay. so I'm sure this is on the top of your head. I'm putting you on the spot here. What have your favorite kind of two or three moves been up to this point? 
Oh my gosh. All right. My, my favorite moves here. I'm trying to just scroll here. I love what the Bucks have done. I mean, you know, like, all right, Shaq Barrett, it doesn't take like a, you know, a brain surgeon to uh, think about that, but they were able to bring him back, bring Gronk back, bring David, like they just kept the entire uh, band together. And I love how aggressively uh, they approached free agency. You know, Jayon Brown today w- with the Titans, I-, I thought that was yeah. a nice one-year deal for them uh, for $5 million. They obviously need players on that side of the ball. Uh, I thought the Jacoby Brissett signing was a good one for the Dolphins, regardless of whether they're sticking with Tua or going with uh, somebody like Deshaun Watson. Here's one. You know, we mentioned the John Brown one, but the one I really liked was Justin Coleman with the Dolphins. Did you see this this deal? That two point? is a perfect move. I think it's my favorite one. I mean, that's in, this is the type of move in like if you're going into free agency, target the young guy who had a terrible year last year or whatever, but has like it's the back of the baseball card thing, right? You don't want the guy who had the great year last year, but overall hasn't been great. You want the guy who had the bad year last year, but overall has been pretty good. I thought Justin Justin Coleman set the market for slot corners when he signed with the Lions. No other slot corner was getting $9 million a year, and it's not like he's 32 years old. He's 28 years old. Now you have Coleman, Byron Jones, and Xavier Howard. Plus, you know, they used a first-round pick last year. Like, they're loaded at cornerback. So that that was one of my favorite signings of the past few days. You said that the Aguilar move was the, the, in the John Brown Opposite. thing. The Raiders yeah. doing a Patriots thing. Signing Justin Coleman, I know that it, he's far removed from the Patriots tree to some extent. I mean, he went to Seattle and then to Detroit, but essentially it's New England by way of Seattle that he arrived in Detroit. It's an yeah. extension of that tree. Let a guy on the Belichick tree sign a guy for his high price market value, have him fizzle out there, and then you get the same guy at the bargain basement price when he's essentially the same player. The Patriots, I mean, this is the Kyle Van Noy contract for corners is exactly what just happened with Justin Coleman landing in Miami. I totally agree. I think it's a great move. And I also, we didn't mention this when we were talking about Washington. It's a slightly different thing, but I think it's still in the same zip code. Them letting Ronald Darby walk when they had Ronald Darby for nothing and then replacing Ronald Darby with a player in the same price zone. I think Darby was 10 million a year. Jackson's 13, but you go get a better player. That to me is a way to stave off defensive regression. We went out and got a guy that was serviceable. He was fine. Let somebody else pay the less talented guy, 10 million a year. I'm going to go get the former first round pick for 13 million a year. This is how I keep improving my defense. I just, the trade-offs, and opportunity cost and how you're looking at deals and players as they relate to alternatives, I think is a really important part of how we think and talk about free agency. And I think the Justin Coleman contract is a perfect example of that. All right. Exactly. Yeah, no, no. Sorry. Last thing. Yeah. With guys like Darby and Aguilar, like look for the next one. Don't, you know, you don't want to be the team like the, I don't know what the Broncos are doing. Like you don't want to be the team who after the one year Darby stayed healthy and played well, you're like, (laughs) all right, let's give him $10 million a year. No, those are the types of things you want to avoid. And we see it um, year after year. So anyway. How shocking is it for you to watch all of these former Eagles defensive backs cashing in in free agency after what the Eagles defenses looked like over the last couple of years? I couldn't believe the Jalen Mills deal, Ronald Darby. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is wild out of there. There is like a high variance with some of these moves being made, and my, my reaction to them in real time here in, in this bunker, in this grading bunker that I'm sitting in. Well, I hope you're doing okay. I hope you're getting enough water. <laughs> I hope you're eating enough as you sit there in that cave over the last three days. I thank you very much for coming on. I'm going to look past the Dalton grade 
and I'm gonna. You have you've made up for it. You have made up enough ground by coming on and doing the show and doing as good a job as you've done. Get some sleep, my friend. You have wor- you are working entirely too hard. Please go check out all the work that Shield and everyone else is doing at the Athletic right now. We have a really awesome one dollar a month promotion happening for our NFL coverage. I'm telling you, you will not regret it. The the work that is being done by Shield, the other national writers, all of the roundtables that are happening, and just high-level analysis of literally every single move. There is nowhere else you can get as detailed, as in-depth looks at everything that's happening in NFL Free Agency that you can with The Athletic. If you're not subscribed, I don't know what you're doing. Also, please go rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It would mean a lot to me. It would be doing me a personal favor, so thank you very much. We'll be back tomorrow with Lindsey Jones. I I have no idea what day it is. I have no idea how many straight days we've been doing this. I think it's Friday or tomorrow's Thursday into Friday. It doesn't matter. We'll be back tomorrow with Lindsey. Until then, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you later. This was The Athletic Football Show.